Good evening, and welcome everyone on Torah Anytime. Parsha's told us. This is actually a theme very related to the Parsha. As we know, Yaakov Avinu comes on the scene in a very big way. Titin Emes Yaakov. And we know that his Midah that he exemplifies, he's referred to as, is the Midah of Emes. I'd like to focus on that Midah, mostly in regards to money matters and how honest we are when it comes to money. And we'll see some amazing Chazal and Marimakomos to the Torah's demand of us, how careful we have to be when it comes to that. But we'll touch upon, in general, honesty, how we talk, how we keep to our word, integrity, because, of course, it's all related. An ish MS is an ish MS. If somebody is careful with honesty in one area, it affects the other area. If it's not so careful in one area, it affects the other area. I'm going to start with a very interesting Dasikanian Valley Tosfus. <coughs> Found in the back of the Chumash, many Mikros Gadolos, on Perik Chothei, Pasuk Lamedalid. In the beginning of the parasha, we have Yaakov Avinu purchasing the Bechorah from Esav. We know the story. Esav comes back from the fields. He's done terrible things. He's very tired and weak and famished. And Yaakov Avinu is cooking the lentil soup, the Adoshim. And they strike up a conversation. Esav says, I'll do anything for that soup. And Yaakov says, will you sell me the Bechorah? And Esau agrees. He's mevazah the Bechorah. He downgrades the Bechorah, how it's very worthless to him. And sure enough, Yaakov Avinu purchases the Bechorah from Esau. Now Esau is a Russia, and Yaakov makes the purchase from Esau for the soup. Sounds like a business deal. Pretty straightforward. Dazakanian Valitosvis he says, the pshat in the Pasuk is, because, even though it's written the other way around in the Pasuk, it says, Yaakov gives Esau the food, and he drinks it, and he goes away. And Esau is mevaz of the Bechorah. So he says, it's really written out of order. The sale was made because Esau was mevaz of the Bechorah. He says as follows, Pirish, Mikfar haya mevaz because Esau was mevazah the Bechorah, he didn't treat it properly, a holy thing like the Bechorah, whatever exactly it represented and was, but because Esau did not appreciate it and did not value it, and he, he, the opposite, he was mevazah it, therefore, Yaakov buys from Esau the Bechorah. Had Esau treated it with much more holiness and appropriateness, then maybe Yaakov would have bought it, it seems. But because he was mevazah it, as a Russia that Esav was, that's what allowed Yaakov to purchase it from Esav. And then he quotes from Yehuda HaChassid, one of the great Rishonim. From this episode of Yaakov buying the Bechorah from Esav, we can learn out as follows. That if a Russia has in his possession a Sefer Torah, or another great mitzvah like that, something very holy and special, the mutter litzadik l'remoso v'litlomimenu. A tzaddik is allowed to trick him, liramoso means to trick him, and take it from him. He could trick him and purchase it from him. How do we see that? That's what Yaakov did, says the Dasakanian Balitosis. That since Esau had this Bechorah, a holy thing, but he didn't appreciate it, he was mevaza it, that's what allows Yaakov, liramoso, to trick Esau into selling it to him. That's the Dasakanian. My Rebbe, Zechotanak Levrocha, pointed out a question that kind of jumps at you if you look at it carefully, what he says. How in this case did Yaakov trick Esau? 
Was it not fair and square? Was it not very clear? Esav had the Bechorah. He asked Yaakov to sell it to him for the pot of soup. Yaakov said, okay, fair and square. So in which way did Yaakov trick Esav? Where's the trickery? Where's the deception? That we're learning a halacha from here, that if such a thing would happen with a Sefer Torah by a Russia, it would be okay, be mutter to deceive him, to get it out of his hands. How do you see that from here? Where did Yaakov deceive Esav? So my Rebbe wanted to say, the pshat must be, that even though it was fair and square, it would seem, a very nice business deal, but since the Bechorah, of course, is worth, is worth much more than a pot of soup, even though Esav is willing to sell it for the pot of soup, but it's only because Esav doesn't really appreciate its value. Esav does not appreciate that it's not worth a pot of soup. He's mavazit. He doesn't appreciate its value. And as such, there's an element of deception because Esav doesn't know what it's really worth. If he would only know what it's really worth, he would never sell it for a pot of soup. No, so let Esav go look in the blue book and find out what it's worth. Let him check it out. Why is that my business? He doesn't know. He could check it out. So why can't I sell him for this fair and square deal? Where's the element of Sheker? Where's the element of Ramia, of deception? It sounds like there still is, because since he doesn't know, even though he could look it up himself, but you know that if he appreciated more, he wouldn't make the sale, then that is considered an element of deception. It's not 100% honest. Because as much as he's willing to do it, but if he only knew what it was worth, so if you know something's worth a lot of money and this person doesn't really appreciate it, even though, listen, he could go check it out, figure it out. He says, no, innocent guy doesn't know. But you know, it's not a fair and square deal then. That's an element of Ramiya over there. That's not 100% honest, even though it seems like it is. The Torah's perspective on how, how a person has to be so honest, the integrity in a business deal, in all matters, very high demands on us. We see this is also not 100% honest. And once it's not 100% honest, it's not honest. And it's element of Shekhar, you can't do it. This is Ramiya. So that's one example from the parasha of an illustration of how far-reaching this midah of MS when it comes to money matters is. This is something we heard, we heard often in yeshiva. My Rebbe, he was a person who practiced what he preached. He preached very much the highest levels of honesty and integrity when it comes to all areas. And the story that I only read after he passed away about my Rebbe, Rabbi Leibowitz, Eichatanik Levrocha, the yeshiva of Chavetz Chaim, the following story, a great story. There was a fellow... Mr. Patterson, he was the governor of New York, I think, at some point. This story takes place maybe in the 50s, I don't know exactly, in that time, basically time of the, 19th, of the 20th century, around that time period. Mr. Patterson then was working with the government as the person who gave out the money to schools. And uh, if you deserved money, based on your enrollment, enrollment, how many people in the student body, you would get a certain amount of money. And he was the person that dealt with that sugya, in government in the educational system. So the Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva <clears throat> had a number of students and they reported the number of students. They were allocated a certain amount of money for certain things. I don't know what it was for exactly, but they got a certain amount of money from the government through Mr. Patterson. And after a couple of years, they were getting the same amount each year. I guess they didn't check in every year, but then the enrollment of Yeshiva dropped tremendously. For whatever reason, it dropped by a large amount. So let's say there were 100 students, now they're down to 50 students, so the Yeshiva felt we can't take the same amount of money unless we call the government and make sure it's okay. It's probably not okay. We don't have the same enrollment, even though they're not calling us, but we should really be honest with them. And that's what he did. So the Rashiva called, he, he was directed to Mr. Patterson, and he's speaking to Mr. Patterson and telling him the numbers changed. And Mr. Patterson, of course, was impressed with his honesty and integrity. 
And uh, he said, yeah, well, the numbers did change. Appreciate that. And we're going to take back some of the money as you want to give back. And they took back some of the money. But the Roshim that it made, the impression it made on Mr. Patterson was incredible. Because a few months later, there's another Rosh Hashiva, another head of school, Orthodox school, that had some kind of shaila with money in the government. And they called Mr. Patterson to try to see if they could get a certain amount of money or not. They weren't sure. They would try to plead their case to get the money. Maybe there was a question if it was right or wrong. And apparently Mr. Patterson wasn't 100% sure either. It might depend on the nature of the yeshiva, how it's set up. And Mr. Patterson told this rabbi, he says, call Rabbi Leibowitz. If he says it's okay, then it's okay. Incredible. The Kiddush Hashem, of course, that was made. But that level of honesty, I'm not taking a dollar that there's any question about. If it's not supposed to be taken, it's not supposed to be taken. But it seems okay, fair and square. They didn't call me, why do I have to call them? That's not the way it works. The Torah's perspective on honesty and money matters is a very, very high level. And not only is it incorrect, but it doesn't pay. As Rav Palm says, crime doesn't pay. From a Torah's perspective, crime does not pay. If we do something which is less than 100% honest, then we're not going to gain from that. We would have gotten the money otherwise, and now we just got the Avera on top of it. And Rav Palm brings from the Chavaz Chaim, who brings a medrash, I love this medrash. The medrash says, it's brought in Dasakanim Valley Tosfis in Parshas Noach. It's found in a few places. But the medrash talks about when all the creatures and beings were trying to get on the teva. So there was one being called Shikra. Shikra is the one that represents dishonesty, Sheker. So there was some being called Shikra. He wanted to go on the teva. He wanted to get himself saved from the Mabul. And the medrash relates that Noach said, listen, the rule is you can't come on the Teva unless you have a spouse. No one comes on without a mate, right? Male and female, that's what it is. So Shikra said, okay, I'll go get married. So he quickly goes down, looks for a quick spouse, and sure enough, he finds a mate named Pachsa. Now Pachsa, from the language of Pachos, to diminish, to deplete, as the measure explains, he's the one in charge of making people lose money. He's the depleter. So Shikra is talking to Pachsa, the being who makes us, it's like when the water heater breaks and all of a sudden we, we now have to pay $1,000 out of nowhere, or we get the parking ticket or whatever it is, or the speeding ticket, like where'd that come from? Why do I have to spend this kind of money on that? What happened there? All of a sudden, that's the depleter. So Shikra finds Pachsa and says, well, you marry me, I want to go on the table, save our lives, but I need a spouse. So Pachsa says, apparently Pachsa wasn't so impressed with going on the table without any kind of deal with Shikra, so she says to Shikra, what's in it for me? What's the deal? Like, what do you offer? Besides marrying me, what are you offering me? So Shikra says, here's the deal. Whatever I earn, you can spend. Right? Nice husband. Whatever I bring in, whatever income I bring in, you could spend. And she says, that sounds pretty good. And they agree to get married. And sure enough, they come back to Noah on the Teva. And Shikra and Pachsa, they go on the Teva. Again, Shikra represents Sheker, and Pachsa represents the depleter of our money. And, as the Medrash concludes, they made this deal, they come off the Teva, and they set up their home, and Shikra and Pachsa, after a while, Shikra's making some money, and Pachsa said, what happened to the deal? I thought, whatever you bring in, I'm, I'm allowed to spend. And Shikra said, yeah, that was the deal. And from then on, says the Medrash, whatever Shikra brings in, Pachsa spends. Whatever Sheker, whatever income comes from Sheker, the depleter, Pachsa, is allowed to spend that. And that's the concept, says the Chavetz Chaim, that we think we're gaining with this deception and underhanded and shtickle, not exactly MS, 
we're not going to gain. It's going to be spent through another way. You get it in that way, it ends up being depleted by paksa for the broken water heater or the leak in the ceiling or whatever it is that causes us to lose money. That's what happens when we, when we get from Sheker, it gets depleted by paksa. That's what he says. On this topic of MS, when it comes to money matters, there's a beautiful Maram Shif. The Maram Shif is found at the end of Bavakama. The end of Bavakama, the last parak talks about matters of gazela. And the Maram Shif, as he does in many Masechtas, apparently he gave a siyum at the end of the Masechta, and he write his shtickle Torah, what he said at the siyum. So he gives his long drasha, and the end of Bavakama, which talks about gazela, in his siyum, the Maram Shif says as follows. He says, just like gazela is at the end of Bavakama, the topic of not being careful with money matters finds its way to the end of Bavakama. So too, if you go through, he says, look at the following, he says, the tachlis of the year is the Yomim Tovim, the whole goal, so to speak, or the, the ikr of the year is Yomim Tovim, he says. The tachlis of the Yomim Tovim is Yom Kippur. The ikr yomtiv is Yom Kippur. The goal of the Yomim Tovim is Yom Kippur. And the tachlis of Yom Kippur is Ne'ilah. Right? The end of Yom Kippur, the highlight, the highlight of Yom Kippur is Ne'ilah. And what's the tzfilah in Ne'ilah? There's a special tzfilah in the words of Ne'ilah at the very end. We ask Hashem, please, please save us. Oshek yodenu. Save us from any type of ill that we've done, any type of wrong that we've done when it comes to Oshek Yodenu, that which we've taken incorrectly, inappropriately. This idea of taking things we shouldn't be taking and earning things that we're not supposed to earn because it's not 100% honest. This is the part of the Ne'ilah Tzfilah, which is the tachlis of the tachlis of everything. The focus is this type of activity and this Avera. And again, he says that this is something which, that's in the Dor HaMabel we just talked about, that that's what sealed the deal. The Gzardin was sealed. Their fate was sealed because of Hamas, because of thievery, because of Gzela. So as much as they did many Averos, but they could have still done Tshuva and there's still a way out, but Gzela sealed their fate. That's how terrible it is. He goes on to talk about this terrible Midah. He says we have to be so careful with this. It's so, so big. A person has to be careful. Every dollar, it's got to be 100% honest. Easier said than done. The big gates are harder for it. As the Gemara itself says, Rubam Begezel, most of us stumble in money matters when it comes to Gzela. It's a frightening thought. Rabbi Saul Salanter brings. There's a Medrash. The Medrash says that we all have a basket of Averos when you go up to Shemaim after 120 years. We have a basket of Averos. And Kupa Mali Avonos, says the Medrash. We have a Kupa, a basket filled with Averos, Avonos. And Mimikatreg Barosh, Who's the first of the Averos to accuse us, to be a, a kitrug against us? What's the top of the list sitting on top of that barrel? Gezel. Gzela. And again, none of us are actually going and taking our hand and putting it in someone else's pocket. We don't do that. But when it comes to dishonesty and not being careful, the way we earn every dollar, this is apparently very high on the list of Averos. And perhaps we don't recognize how serious it is and how tragic it is. The Sefer Achinuch in the whole Midah of Sheker and Emes, he makes the point, we discussed this in another shir a couple weeks ago, then the goal was to explain where you're allowed to lie, and when sometimes it's mutter to lie, or maybe a mitzvah to lie. For Shalom, for example, and other worthy causes, we discussed it at length. But now I'd like to focus on the other half of the coin, which is when you don't have a heter to lie, how truthful we have to be, how super careful with Emes we have to be, says the Sefer HaChinuch, that's why it says, Midvar Sheker Tirchak, it's the only Isser in the Torah, the only forbidden thing in the Torah which says Tirchak, stay far, far away. It doesn't say it by Chilol Shabbos. It doesn't say it by forbidden foods. It doesn't say stay far away from those things. It says don't do it. But by MS and Sheker, it says stay far, far away to highlight how despicable it is 
and how hated it is, he says, by Hashem, and even by people, he says. People just despise Sheker. If only we would despise Sheker. But that's what he talks about. I guess he means other people, seeing other people being dishonest. But he says, that's why Midvah Sheker Tirchak, and again, they're both related, whether it's money matters, or just the way we deal with people, keeping to our word, and being honest, the way we say things, and keeping to that. That's, that's all connected. And Ish Emes and Ish Emes. And when we're not careful in one area, it spills over the other area. This is the idea of being cautious and careful when it comes to meat of emes and chas v'shalom, not sheker. <clears throat> a few other gemaras, let's mention a couple of stories. Another thing the Bali Musa points out when it comes to this idea of taking money that's not ours, accidentally, we're not so careful. If a person wakes up to it one day and realizes, you know, I should not be doing what I'm doing in business, I shouldn't be so careless, it's really a problem. So how do you do tshuva? How do you do tshuva? It's very hard to do tshuva. Many averis is a way to do tshuva. You know what you did wrong, you repent. But when it comes to Beit Lachavero, we have to actually repent to the person we hurt. But if we're doing it all the time and we don't remember who we hurt and it's just people coming and going, very hard to do tshuva. There's a cute maisa, a cute story about a Hasidish fellow. Story goes that in Eretz Yisrael, there was two yeshiva guys heading on a trip and they weren't sure if they should take, if they should take their car or not take the car. They a clunker. They were nervous. Will they get to their destination? And they're driving along on the highway there, and of course the car breaks down, it overheats, they pull over the side of the road, and the Hasidic fellow, no, no one passes by, no one stops for them, a Hasidic fellow stops by, okay, that part's not, so, uh, not such a Hiddish. He pulls over, he says, everything okay? They say, no, we're stuck, we're not sure what's happening, steam coming out from under the hood, let me take a look. So the Hasidic fellow with the whole garb, he opens the hood, yeah, it looks like that hose over there bursts, sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And then he really gets into it. He rolls up his sleeve, takes his jacket and hat off, puts it in his trunk, he opens his trunk, and he sees, they see parts, car parts. The guy looks like a mechanic. And he takes out the hose, and he places the hose, and seems to be fine. Everything's better after a half hour. They're ready to go on their trip. What do we owe you? He says, no, 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 I don't want any money. No, we have to pay you something for your service. You saved us. He says, no, 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 I can't take any money. Please, at least for the parts, at least for the parts we should pay you. I can't take any money. Why not? Why can't you take money? I'll tell you why I can't take money. And he tells him his whole story. He says in a previous life, or so to speak, before I was religious, I wasn't always from. And I was a mechanic. That's what I did for a living. I know cars because I was a good mechanic. A good mechanic, you know what they do? I'm sure you know. They know, they know how to make cars break and fix, whatever they want to do. That's what they do to make money. A good mechanic knows how to hide it well. And I was very, very good making a lot of money. That's what mechanics are able to do. He said it straight. But then I was Choser Betshuva. And I realized I stole from so many people. And I don't know what to do now. I went to my Rebbe, my new Rebbe, and I said, what do I do? He said, it's very hard. It's very hard. What do you do Tshuva? How are you supposed to give the money back to everybody? I'll tell you what to do. He said, you have to volunteer and do chesed and help people with your talents. And don't take any money for it. And just give and give in this way, and that'll be some kind of tikkun, some kind of tshuva. And that's what I've been doing for the last three years. I mean, up and down the highway a few hours a day, trying to find people like you who break down, because i got to do tshuva for what I've done. Amazing story. It's hard to do tshuva. Okay, hopefully we don't, we don't have to do such things. But that's when we get into it. If we're not careful with the money, and then one day we wake up and say, what am I doing? Now how do you do tshuva? Very, very hard. It's an interesting story. And I read the story. I'm assuming it's a true story, but okay. I'm not sure the authenticity of that story. But the next story is so authentic, an amazing story. If you haven't heard it, it's just an incredible story. Also about money matters and care one has to t take when it comes to every dollar. This story was handed down by Chaim Volozhin, the Talmud of the Vilnagon, 
down to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, all the way down to the Briskarov or El Apian. They all quote it over as, as if it's 100% gold. This story is mamish authentic. The following incredible story about Rabbi Chaim Velazhiner's yeshiva. It goes back a few hundred years. Rabbi Chaim Velazhiner's yeshiva. There was a young man in the yeshiva, a bocher, who Nebuch was very, very sick. And Rabbi Chaim Velazhiner, the Rosh Yeshiva said, you have to go home, try to take care of this. It's very, very serious. Go home. He lived at a distance from the yeshiva, a couple of days travel. And Rabbi Chaim Velazhiner said, go with this other bocher. Go with him. You shouldn't go alone on the travel. And another bocher went with this sick fellow, this sick young man, one of the top bocherim in the yeshiva. But they went together to bring him home. And they go on the way, and they have to stop at an inn overnight. It's a long trip. And when they leave the next morning from the inn, they have to pay their, their uh, fare, whatever the inn fees are. And the friend, the healthy friend, he had enough money for himself. He didn't have really that much more. But the sick fellow, he was short seven prutos, the story goes. Seven prutos. Let's call it seven dollars. And the innkeeper understood, okay, he looks like an honest boy. He says, listen, when you come back, you'll pay me back the seven prutos, it's fine. And they continue on, they get to the sick boy's house, and right away, without wasting a moment, he says, here's seven prutos, when you go back, on the way back to yeshiva, please pay back my debt, and do me that favor. And the bacher says, of course. He puts it in his pocket, he heads back, and sure enough, he forgets. He forgets, I guess he goes into a different inn, I don't know exactly how he forgot, but he didn't pay back the debt for the, for the sick bacher. And he gets back to yeshiva. And on the other end, within a week or two, Nebuch, Nebuch, the sick bacher passes away. One of the top bacher in the yeshiva, tragedy in the yeshiva. And they, of course, they had a spadim and they, they talked the eulogy, eulogies, everything very, very. And then after a few weeks, after his patira, so Rechaim Volazhin is walking late at night in the hallway. They were bacher learning all night in yeshiva. That's what they had shifts. And Rechaim Volazhin, the yeshiva is walking one night late at night in the hallway of Volazhin yeshiva. And all of a sudden, he sees an image of this Bachar who passed away, the sick boy. Call it a ghost, I don't know why you, why you call it. He sees him. He sees him in the hallway. It's quiet, no one else is around, just the Rosh Hashiva and this boy who passed away. And he says, without batting an eyelash, Rabbi Chaim Velazhin says, oh, how are you? How was your din upstairs? And he says, Baruch Hashem, I mean, my din was very successful. I had a lot of mitzvahs. And even the Averos that I had, because of all the Yisurim that I suffered at the end of my life, it took care of that. And I was ready to go straight to Gan Eden. And I got to the doors, the gates of Gan Eden, and there's a malach standing there with his arms folded. He says, you can't come in. Why not? You're almost ready, but you've got to pay back that debt, the seven prutos. It was never taken care of. He did everything in his control to do. He did nothing wrong. And the malach explained to him, because you did nothing wrong, we're going to allow you to go back down, take care of it with your Rebbe, take care of those seven prutos, pay the debt. This, this innkeeper never got his money. He was never mochel the money. He never got his money. So go back down, take care of it, then we'll let you in the Gan Eden. He tells Rechaim Lajan the whole story. Rechaim Lajan assures him we'll take care of it instantly. And of course he does. By the next morning, he speaks to the bacher, the friend who escorted him. And he says, um, when you went on that trip, did you ever pay back the seven prutos? <laughs> and I'm, not sure, I'm sure the bacher was a little confused. How do you know the details? But he said, I didn't. I forgot. I feel terrible. He says, go right now. Go right now and pay back those. And he ran right to the inn as soon as possible. He paid the prutos. And of course, Rechaim Velazhin never saw the um, image of that bacher ever again in the hallways of the yeshiva. But all the Bali Musa bring this story as an example where it's a question of money. No one did anything so terrible. But the fact is that this man never got paid back. It, it stopped this fellow from getting into Gan Eden. And the truth is, when I found this story, it reminded me of something that I heard when my, my yeshiva passed away. I'm sure it has something to do with this, Maisa. 
But the story goes that when my Rebbe passed away as the Rashiva of Chavetz Chaim, so what I heard was is that there was some debt at the time. Yeshivas are hard to always keep everything, every payroll exactly on time. He was behind a little bit, even when he passed away. And of course, there were new Rosh Yeshivas taking over. But they say that right when he passed away and there was a little debt on the Yeshiva, so someone, one of the generous Balabatim, paid off all the Yeshiva's debts that were on the Yeshiva's shoulders, so to speak, took care of the debts from that part, and then going for, forward, you, you new Rosh Yeshivas, you're on your own. And I'm sure it has something to do with this story because it's such a severe thing. When it comes to money matters, if someone's owed money, it's my mistake, and something happened, and even it's not my mistake, but something that has to do with me. Again, when it comes to money matters, honesty, sincerity, it's so, so crucial. Like, in terms of upstairs, and Hashem looks at things that way. Let's move on. A couple of chazal, and we'll close. Just, to, again, some interesting chazal, how far this goes when it comes to money matters, honesty, one is a Gemara, a very interesting little Gemara, number five on the sheet, if you have the sheet. It's a Gemara in the Dharam Chavhei, which talks about a fellow who owed someone money. We'll call him Reuven and Shimon. Reuven owes Shimon money. And there was a case where Reuven had to swear. came to Bezdin, he had to swear. And okay, he's ready to take a shvua that he doesn't owe the money. So he steps out of the courtroom for a, for a moment or two, comes back in. And his claim, his claim was, Reuven claimed to Shimon, I paid you back already. I paid you back. And Shimon says, I didn't get the money, so they declared he has to swear. So he steps out of the courtroom, he comes back in with a cane. The Gemara says he comes with a kanya, a cane. And in the cane, he stuffed the money, the thousand dollars. He stiffs it and stuffs it in the cane. And to take the Sefer Torah, to take a shua, so he has to put down the cane. So he asks Shimon, he says, do you mind holding my cane for a moment while I take the Sefer Torah to swear that I don't owe you the money? He says, sure. So he takes the Sefer Torah, he gives him the cane, and he, he solemnly swears that the thousand dollars that I owe you, I gave it back to you. It's in your hands. And sure enough, he was holding the cane. And Shimon was so upset hearing the guy swearing that he gave back the money. He smashes the cane. The money comes out. He was exposed. And, of course, he now had to... The, the, whole, the whole scheme was pretty much open. But the Gemara says that that's not MS. What, what do you technically... It's true. I mean, when I gave him the cane, I said I gave the thousand dollars in your hands. It's 100% true. What's not true about it? Technically, it's true. So MS is much more broad than technically it's true. How often do we say things like technically it's true? So, okay, you might understand it this way, that way. It doesn't go that way. It has to be 100% MS. And this example, I think, is easy to understand because Lemaissa, he, he's trying to get away with not paying a thousand dollars. But here you have a case where Technically, it's true. Technically, it's true. So what's wrong? There's a lot wrong with that. One more Gemara here. Also, very interesting how far-reaching Midvar Sheker Tircha goes. It's not necessarily even things we say or in money matters. This case is just off the charts in terms of the, the reach that Midvar Sheker has. It's something that many Bali Moser quote. It's a Gemara in Shuas, which the Gemara in Shuas in Daflam and Aleph lists off a number of cases of Midvar Sheker Tircha. The case is as follows. It says, how do you know that a Dayon, someone judging a case, he has two litigants in front of him, Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain's a wealthy man, and Shimon's not such a wealthy man. So how do you know, when they both come to court, the wealthy man's rich, wearing his fancy suit, expensive suit, and the poor man's wearing poor man's clothes. So how do you know, says the Gemara, that you have to make sure they dress the same? You have to either get the poor man a nice suit, or have the rich man dress in a simple suit. They have to look the same in the eyes of the Dayon. That's the halacha. He says, how do you know? Because it says, midvash sheker tirchak. And Rashi explains, because if you don't do that, then you might be slighted in the way you judge the case. After all, he's a rich man, he's a poor man. 
And therefore, you might want to favor the rich man, or you're afraid of the rich man, or maybe you want to help the poor man. Various different ways you could go, but you don't see it as equal. You don't see them equal, which is amazing because you know one's rich and one's poor. And even when you switch the clothes, they point this out. Even after they switch clothes and everyone's wearing the same clothes, you still know this is the rich fellow and this is not the rich fellow. But still, the way you see it, another, another insight, the way you see it in front of you is different than the, the re'iyah is different than the idea. But so what exactly is the problem over here? Because I, I know, I see, I know anyway he's rich, but I see that there, I see he's rich. And that, that little difference is a violation of midbar sheker tirchok. It's incredible. This is how far we have to go. That if you see them a little bit differently, it might alter your things. That I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Hopefully I'll pass. Even if you pass incorrectly, you still violate midbar sheker tirchok if you didn't have them if you didn't have them switch clothes or or wear the same type of clothes. One example. Another another chazal may rabbi would point out from this, and we'll close is. In Parsha Shoftim, famous Pasuk, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov. You're supposed to run after Tzedek, run after righteousness. So says Rashi, he brings that it's talking about if you have a court case with somebody else, again, Reuven and Shimon, and it's a question of Reuven wants to get $1,000 out of Shimon, he owes me money. So I believe he owes me money, I'll take him to court. So Rashi brings Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, we learn from there, go after a Bezdin Yafe. Go after a great Bezdin, the best of the Bezdins. Right? Every Bezdin is able to don the case, but you go after the best Bezdin, the choicest Bezdin. That's what you're supposed to do. Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov. Right? That's what it says. You, you could go to any Bezdin, but you're supposed to strive to go after the best Bezdin. The best Hamid Chachamim, the best Bezdin. So my Rebbe stopped on this and analyzed it and says, let's understand the case. Ruvain feels that Shimon owes him $1,000. So I'm going to bring Shimon to court. We'll go to the best court. Now, why are you telling me to go to the best court? Of course I can go to the best court. I want to get the money, right? So I want to go to the best court. I feel I'm justified to get the money. I'll go to the best court. Or maybe the case is that I'm really a crook. So I'd rather pull a fast one by the Dayan and by the judges. So then what? Go to the best court. If I'm really a crook, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to go to the best court. I'll go to the lower court. No, go to the best court. If I'm trying to make a dollar over here, make a thousand dollars over here, I'm not going to listen. So what exactly is the case where the Torah is saying, Ruben, go to the best court? So it seems that the case is where Reuven thinks he gets $1,000 legitimately, he deserves the money, he's not a crook. But go to the best court means, go to the best court for Shimon's sake. It's not fair to go to a lower court and therefore maybe they won't understand everything perfectly and you walk out with $1,000. That's not fair. Go to the best court that would give Shimon the best chance of not losing the $1,000. That's your responsibility. You have to look out for the other guy not losing incorrectly. I should make sure, it's on me to make sure I don't take a dollar that doesn't belong to me. Go to the best court. You think you deserve the money, so go to the best court. Make sure he gets his fairest shake in the case. Let Make sure Shimon is taken care of by the best Dayanim. That's my obligation. Again, how far the Torah demands of me to make sure I don't chas and take something that doesn't belong to me. We'll end with one last Yerushalmi and a story. Just for the sake of a person feels I got to be more careful with honesty. Again, both in the way I speak and the way I deal with money and matters. So there's a fabulous Yerushalmi over here in case someone wants to start somewhere. Yerushalmi says that the halacha is when it comes to food that requires taking off trumas and maestros. So if you take it from an Amaharetz, if you buy something from an Amaharetz, it doesn't know the halacha so well, so you have to assume you didn't take off trumas and maestros. You got to take off yourself. Can you just ask the fellow? Can you ask him, did you take off Shimon's and You can't trust him. That's what the Gemara says. That, that's the Allah. You can't trust an Am Ha'aretz. It's not such an upstanding individual in Torah. You can't trust him if he, t- if he tells you he took off Shimon's and You've got to just take it off yourself. But says the Gemara, let's say you ask him on Shabbos. You ask him on Shabbos, did you take off Shimon's and from this? 
He's an Amaretz. He's the same level of person, but the halacha is then you could trust him. Why can you trust him on Shabbos? So says the Yushalmi, I'm quoting from one of the Perushim over there, because Ema Shabbos Olov, because the fear of Shabbos is upon him. This fellow would never lie on Shabbos. That's what the Yushalmi seems to say. He's afraid to be over and to lie on Shabbos. So apparently Shabbos is a special day, like I mean, all things, but here specifically it talks about Sheker, where a person should be extra cautious when it comes to Shabbos. He brings this Yerushalmi, he says, if only the Tamir Chachamim of today were like the Amaratim of yesteryear. That's what he says. But the Amaratim wouldn't lie on Shabbos. You could trust them on Shabbos. Once the sun goes down on, on Motzoi Shabbos, you can't trust them anymore. But Shabbos, he would never lie. An interesting insight about, really about Shabbos, but also about Sheker. So again, just to close, we see when it comes to money matters, when it comes to honesty, the way we talk, the way we speak, even situations, if we do things that are slightly deceptive, it doesn't really add up to 100% honesty, that's not okay. The Torah is very, very makbin, very, very medactic. And this is, as again, Rabbi Sol Salanter said, that a kupa mali avonos, when you have a basket, unfortunately we have a virus, but what sits on the top? And what's going to be the first accuser upstairs? Gezel. How careful we have to be. MS, truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Hashem should help us in this matter. Mir we will get closer and closer to that goal. Yashikoyach, have a good night.